G'day, Tilda Joy here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news, worker stories and social justice issues. This program is produced on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations, and we pay our respects to their elders past and present. This episode was recorded in isolation for 3CR Community Radio, and broadcast nationally by the Community Radio Network. Today, we're going to be wrapping up the remarkable year that was 2020 with Kristen from the Australian Unemployed Workers Union, Lucas from the Retail and Fast Food Workers Union, and Giles from the NTEU Casual, Unemployed and Precarious University Workers Network, Kapow, out of Melbourne Uni. Without further ado, let's just hand over to the interview. All right, welcome everyone. Thanks for joining the call today. Um, I'm joined by Kristen, Lucas and Giles here. Um, I was wondering, Kristen, could you introduce yourself quickly? Sure. Um, my name is Kristen O'Connell. I'm a spokesperson for the Australian Unemployed Workers Union. Awesome. And we've got Giles. Hi, everyone. My name's Giles. I uh, am a casual academic at the universities uh, in Melbourne. Um, I also have been working with Kapow, the Casualised, Unemployed and Precarious University Workers um, and the NTU this year. Awesome. Thanks for calling in. And we've got Lucas. Hi, I'm Lucas Kokoyanis and I'm an organiser for the Retail and Fast Food Workers Union. Wicked. And you're up in Sydney, yeah? Yes. Awesome. Um, so, yeah, like we're here today to kind of like maybe just cap up the year that was 2020 and maybe talk a little bit about the future if we get a chance. Uh, but I thought I'd start off by asking you, Lucas, um, you know, obviously, you know, a lot of us have forgotten the way the year started, but there were some bushfires and that yeah. was, um, that was pretty serious for, for the workers that you represent. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was a real, I guess, omen for the, the year to come. Um, uh, it was, it was very serious up here, um, uh, in Sydney, the, there was, you know, serious smoke issues, not only that, but also the, um, the areas that were actually affected by the bushfires. Um, we saw, we had members at uh, a McDonald's store where there were, you know, members getting alerts that there were bushfires less than a kilometre away from their store and they were instructed by their store manager to stay at work and not go and pack up their homes and evacuate. So, yes, there were some very serious issues around that time of year. Absolutely. And that certainly kind of, <laughs> as you say, sets the tone for, you know, the, way, the, the struggle that workers were going to face over, over 2020. Um, before we started recording, Kristen, you were mentioning um, some of the impacts that had with um, some of the members at the AUWU in terms of, like, the injury card and, and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. So we had a couple of things happen. Um, people might be familiar with mutual obligations, which are the activities you have to do to receive your job seeker payment and people not able to do those things um, were being cut off their payment. We've had, yes, people on um, who've got income management, obviously, when things go down, they can't spend their funds. Um, so although the fact that the trial sites weren't particularly affected by bushfires, people from those trial sites do actually leave their town um, and found themselves in situations where they couldn't get what they needed because um, the stores that they're allowed to spend money at weren't able to um, accept their card. Or they were, yeah, they weren't available basically to spend money. And that's kind of been a recurring theme over 2020 again is the issues with this card and the fight to kind of limit its um, its damage and, and that. Um, hopefully we can kind of return to that a little bit more later. Uh, Giles, for you, um, 
the context for the casuals network and stuff that kind of reaches a little bit back into last year as well, doesn't it? Yeah, it's something that um, has continued through this year, which has often been um, uh, kind of easy to forget, I suppose, is that the struggle has been a long one for the university workers, the um, members uh, at the branch uh, where I um, have been working at Melbourne University. Um, that's something that yeah predates the, the sort of terrible um, events, I suppose, of 2020. And so continuing that alongside all the other changes that w- were introduced as a result of that into the sector this year has been um, somewhat of a, um, a juggling act, especially for a lot of the organisers um, and delegates uh, at the branch. But it, it's, it's felt good, I suppose, to be able to, to, to um, continue something that's been a campaign for, um, for yeah, I think close to two years now. And, it's, and, and one of the um, campaigns has just come to a kind of quite decisive uh, victory and end um, this week even. Yeah, that's really exciting and uh, you Bob should be so proud of managing to pull off such a you know concerted organizing effort under you know the strangest conditions I think anyone's ever had to na- navigate. Um, so yeah, good on you. Thanks, um, yeah, it was a, a lot of people involved obviously so you know there's too many to name in terms of how many people got involved in these campaigns um, not just in Melbourne but around around the country as well. Yeah, it's really inspiring stuff. So obviously, yeah, like the pandemic hit, I think it started really affecting, you know, most people around March as as far as I can tell. Um, And that kind of coincided with a lot of uncertainty in terms of, you know, welfare, in terms of housing, um, employment, you know, because like a lot of of shops and stuff were shutting down. Um, But in specific, uh, there was... Uh, the jobs protection framework out at the in the university sector. Um, could you just like go over that briefly, Giles? What that kind of looked like? Sure. So, um, I, I suppose in the context of the bushfires, as we heard from Lucas, and, and then the beginning of this year, and the, the sort of immediate change, I suppose, to teaching conditions in in, in the sector, and um, obviously working conditions um, all around the world. Um, a sort of hasty response from the union that represents all of the workers at uh, the university sector um, um, was assembled, I guess, in a way um, quite quickly, but also without necessarily um, the, the chance for members to be consulted on, on how the, the union was going to respond um, to the um, shutdown of the university campuses, but also the, the sort of sense that there wasn't going to be much support forthcoming from the federal government. Um, and the result of that kind of process, uh, I think around, say, March, April, was quite um, controversial in that it, it, it presented a concessionary approach, essentially, from the outset, before a lot of us had had a chance to um, to think about wh- how we were going to respond um, and the, and the sense that um, the uncertainties of the uh, COVID effects, the pan- effects of the pandemic were going to um, were going to allow universities, employers to essentially make claims that were pretty outrageous, I think, from, from the get-go and, and, and sense that the union would, would be kind of complicit in 
in those um, claims um, was quite uh, yeah sort of difficult for a lot of members to swallow. So we saw a lot of pushback and fight back essentially from um, the rank and file uh, in the in the union um, and in the sector more broadly. Yeah, I think it was my my first show I ever did for this program was covering the um, the National Day of Action uh, where you know started out at Melbourne Uni and cruised around town and ended up back at RMIT. But the the anger there towards the NTU and the the concession was was remarkable and mm. um, certainly seems to have presented a, an organising opportunity for for Kapow. Yeah. yeah, I mean um, it was a sector wide thing, and so the, the initial problem that we um, encountered obviously is that universities uh branches so the the union's branches are very localized and all have different dynamics and different relationships to the employer so the idea of taking a kind of national and sector-wide approach to this as a response was always going to be um difficult but it essentially um was kind of backwards i think in terms of um trying to suggest a, a sort of federal or or, or you know, nation nationwide unity amongst the the union knowing that every uh, university was going to, to do something different at the, the local level of the branches um and and it, and it felt restrictive i think initially to a lot of members to know that they were being kind of uh corralled i suppose into a certain way of responding to to um yeah to the attacks on conditions by by the university's managers yeah so I guess a, an extra bit of cruelty in that situation is that the university sector was singled out to to not receive the the job keeper payment, um, and I guess that kind of leads to something that has affected all of us here, which has been the the changes to welfare through the you know the wage protection measures of, of job keeper, or just the extraordinary decision of the government to increase uh, job seeker to a non-poverty wage <laughs> ever so ever so briefly um what was that like as as a um a spokesperson as a member in AUWU Kristen to kind of receive that news that suddenly um the rate was raised uh it was unbelievable in the sense that it did take a bit to actually believe it like quite literally um I don't think anyone until that moment felt that we were in a position where we could be ambitious um, for a long time. There was a coalition of organisations across civil society called Raise the Rate Campaign, and the ask for that was $75 a week, which is well and truly below the Henderson poverty line. Um, and it's something that I think the union, you know, felt we needed to be part of that campaign. But as soon as the government, you know, made that extraordinary announcement, um, we straight away went, okay, we have to shift our position dramatically and we're going to be calling for this rate to stay this way. Um, it is the Henderson poverty line, so it was you know, not like just out of poverty but like just by a few dollars. Just, um, just squeaking through. Is, yeah, so, you know, we, we say, you know, what we want is um, Social Security to be above the poverty line at a minimum. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was incredible and obviously it had um, such huge ramifications for our members, particularly longer-term unemployed people who um, trying to survive in deep poverty for so long um, were suddenly able to do extremely basic things like, you know, um, we have one story from a person who was able to repair their car that they'd been trying, like, needed to be repaired for two years, they hadn't been able to get around, and obviously that really hurts your employment prospects. So 
like hundreds of little stories like that of things that it's so basic that people could finally do. Um, but yes, in terms of the um, political context, it was shocking. Um, and we think that we've shown obviously overnight that the government doesn't have, like they can pull everyone out of poverty. They don't need to have people in poverty. It's a choice. It certainly is. And it was a kind of a shrewd choice because a lot of people were being exposed to the welfare system for the first time. People have experienced secure employment up until now. And um, the calculation seems mm. to be that there'd be a massive revolt if everyone knew what mm. it felt like. Mm. To be so I mean, it, obviously, yeah, it was very cynical. Um, we know not only did they not want um, people who were newly entering the system to experience the full brutality of it, but of course, um, there's a reason why lots of economists are saying the rate should have been retained, um, even if not permanently, because it protected the economy. Looking after people, you know, allowed the government to achieve its aim, which is to look after the economy. Um, so certainly we don't think they did it out of the kindness of their heart, um, but obviously it gave everyone a, t a taste of what it would be like just to be able to feel you have some security even if you don't have security of employment. It was incredible. <laughs> it was, I, yeah. I, I can speak from experience yeah. the difference it made. Um, Absolutely. And obviously, yeah, by September, I think it was, as soon as it was politically feasible, they've dragged it back down below the poverty line. Yeah, um, and I mean, I would say maybe even before it was politically feasible, but <laughs> people feel disempowered and I think more broadly um, in this country, people see awful things happen, but they don't know what to do to take action about it. And so um, although I think there was pretty wide consensus, as I said, we had major economists saying, don't do this, in addition to welfare groups, in addition to like the Small Business Association, um, really a very broad sector um, of many different parts of many different sectors were saying the rate has to be retained and it shows the government's callous. They um, decided that, yeah, they didn't need to continue it and I guess they want to slowly step people down and kind of um, gently boil the frogs so that everyone's, um, you know, gone back to, we expect it might go back to $40 a day and back to that extremely um, difficult rate. But having stepped it down that all those new people in the system um, won't have that full shock straight overnight. Death by a thousand cuts. Yep, absolutely. And so at the same time as this, we've seen the JobKeeper um, system kind of come in. And Lucas, uh, that's kind of been used in the Fair Work Commission to kind of like, there's been attempts to water down um, the the awards and things like that, right? Like there's been special rules around COVID and, you know. Yeah, what, absolutely. What's that been like? Um, well, in uh, in the sectors that uh, we cover at RAFU, uh, retail and fast food, the I guess the most egregious attack was on the fast food industry award, and uh, uh, that happened in in May. Or the the application to uh, change the award was made on May first, uh, which is International Workers' Day. Um, happy, happy May Day, everyone! Happy May Day, yeah. Happy May Day. The ACTU, the SDA, and AI Group, uh, who are the employer association that represent uh, McDonald's in this instance, um, made a joint application to weaken the fast food industry award um, on a number of fronts. They wanted to be able to uh, partially shut down stores. They wanted to be able to um, uh, not pay uh, overtime rates. And they the main thing that they wanted was to uh, change the, essentially the definition of, to rewrite the definition of part-time work so that um, 
workers would not be entitled to uh, set times and days, but instead just a set number of hours a week and uh, be rostered at the whim of management on a week-to-week basis. Um, and part of the justification for all of that was um, look at all these uh, flexible um, arrangements that uh, the businesses that are eligible for JobKeeper get. Um, why can't we have some of that too? Um, it puts us at a competitive disadvantage. Um, and uh, we're, we're talking about companies like McDonald's, right? We're not. Yes. <laughs> companies that weren't eligible for JobKeeper because they didn't experience a downturn in revenue uh, that made them that made them eligible. So yeah, companies that were doing all right. Um, so it was a pretty yeah, it was a pretty uh, terrible attack, and it was actually one that we'd seen before. So um, the previous year, Rafu had fought and defeated in the commission um, an attempt by the SDA, uh, not uh, not the ACTU, but just the SDA and AI group to um, do that uh, rewriting of the definition of part time work. Um, but this time, COVID was the excuse. So, um, uh, and so that's the argument they made. Um, uh, yeah, but I guess I guess the important thing was that this time round, we also made a concerted effort to defend it. Um, we put on a fantastic case in the commission, and uh, on the streets, we ran a uh, a uh, campaign. We had a car convoy at McDonald's headquarters. And uh, this is in peak, like, you know, in uh, during a lockdown. So, um, you know, a group of unionists all drove out in their cars honking their horns. And uh, and uh, in the commission, we heard from AI group that, uh, that uh, other employers in the fast food industry had been uh, scared out of uh, joining part of joining in the case to. Um, because they were afraid of car convoys being called on their headquarters, which is quite funny. So, and good good proof that direct action gets the goods. Certainly does. Um, we've heard a similar argument recently in terms of Melbourne Uni. There's been a very successful picket out there, um, at, at, out front of the vice chancellor's. What would you call it? Is it a ca- castle or a mansion? An um, estate, almost. An estate, yeah. Um, <laughs> But that was and described as, as university, though, is the point. It's not. Uh, it's not uh, the vice chancellor's private address. It's actually the university purchased um, property for the vice chancellor to live in. Uh, in addition to the property that already exists for the vice chancellor to live in on campus at, at Parkville um, in in Melbourne. Yeah, it's um, hilarious to hold in your mind what that. <laughs> building even is like if, if, it, if it wasn't so unjust like it's, it's an um, embarrassment i think is the, the obvious thing to say and 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 so the action that we we uh planned at the university of melbourne um uh rank and file activists um you know delegates but members and and also uh, claimants to a, a massive underpayment uh, wage theft uh scandal essentially that uh, not only engulfs Melbourne University, but the whole uh, sector, and I think casualised um, work more generally, um, is is so close to to systematic wage theft that it may as well be identical in in, in many senses. Um, and so the action and the direct action that was decided, um, there were a number of discussions that um, involved you know, strategizing and trying to decide what was going to be appropriate um, to escalate the uh, dispute and the demands that we were ma- making um, after, you know, years of, of discussion of uh, the university, at, uh, at least admitting 
fault uh, in the first instance, but then dragging its heels for as long as possible, you know, under the cover of COVID again. Um, while many of our members and claimants for their uh, the underpayment um, sort of scheme, um, you know, were, were experiencing quite, um, you know, desperate hardship as a result of, you know, cancelled contracts overnight, um, you know, things that people were expecting to be able to do in the sector um, as work this year, um, often kind of disappeared um, in front of in front of their eyes, um, and so that made um, winning this um, dispute and, and winning our demands all the more important for for us this year. Um, it was something that was happening prior to um, the pandemic, uh, the outbreak of the the fires and the events of this year, but it um, it made winning that campaign um, I think all the more important for for a lot of us uh, here in in Melbourne. Yeah, it's an amazing outcome. There's, I believe, $15 million being returned in stolen wages. At least, I think, is the sort of initial figure. And, and, and this is only really the, the beginning now because we, we made a very specific um, claim about the uh, interpretation of um, the agreement for casual casualised workers uh, at the university um, and focused on, on the way marking is underpaid um, systematically um, in the sector. So that's a, an academic um, uh, job, I suppose, in, in many instances. Um, but we know that similar things happen um, in professional uh, sides to the university as well. So the, um, the workloads uh, issue as well, um, misclassification of casuals work um, in order to often you know, severely underpay people um, um, for Un- essentially unenforceable um, aspects of the um, the agreements if the union or if members aren't going to actually do something about it. So, yeah, it was um, complicated in that sense, but we narrowed it down to a simple um, dispute around marking, and from there we're going to be continuing the campaign around other aspects of um, casualised underpayments and wage theft in the sector. It's massive, and you can be assured that it's not just confined to Melbourne Uni either. This would be across the whole sector, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I also work um, as a casual, uh, casualised academic in, in other Melbourne institutions. I've worked for RMIT, I've worked for Monash, as well as Melbourne, where I, I suppose I've spent most of my time as a student, as well as a, um, uh, yeah, both a professional staff member and an um, academic staff member at different times. But I, I can sort of say in my own experience that the same things are occurring at, at the other universities that I work at. Um, the yeah, the, the situation is the same. Um, the details might be slightly different, but it's all um, it's all there and it's all been put on display. I think this year um, for all to see. Certainly. Well, congratulations on the win. It's incredible stuff. Um, and in terms of yeah, like taking direct action, I think there's a fairly kind of uh, historic kind of milestone for the unemployed workers union this year. Um, with taking strike action over the mutual obligation scheme earlier. Um, Could you tell us about that, Kristen? Yeah, absolutely, Tilda. So um, for people who aren't very familiar with the system, to receive your unemployment payment, you have to do a whole range of activities um, that are really pointless. They're very demeaning. And the people who kind of oversee you, your bosses essentially, are these private job agencies that the government pays um, to essentially be the cops. So... um, there's been a lot of um, mistreatment of people 
in that system for a long, long time. And every time they iterate it and introduce a new version, it seems to get more and more brutal. Um, because of what was happening with COVID, those activities weren't viable. Um, until now, you've always had to kind of leave your house to go into your job agency or to go and do work for the doll um, and, you know, training activities. So all of that was stopped. And the government, uh, shortly after the really remarkable announcement about the rate change, then also announced that people wouldn't receive a penalty if they didn't fulfill, fulfill their mutual obligations requirements, which is a very um, passive way of saying that you don't have to do anything <laughs> and you won't lose your payment. Um, so that was quite early on and they kept sort of making announcements that went for very short periods of time, very confusing language, not widely communicated. We did have one instance where you know, they were due to return mutual obligations. They announced an extension. They announced it at five o'clock on a Sunday afternoon. I think it was, you know, coming into effect on the Tuesday or something. Uh-huh. Um, so, you know, our policy officer um, was working really hard with the department um, and with the minister's office to try and kind of understand what they were doing, what the implications were of what they were saying, and also to kind of try and get them to communicate better, provide more notice so that people weren't as distressed because it is distressing to have that uncertainty, um, particularly when the system itself hurts you so much. Um, So we had a series of these announcements. Nothing was getting better. And eventually, um, you know, we thought instead of just giving people clear information when they ask us, we're going to take more strident action. Um, We're going to highlight the problems with this system because throughout the pandemic they were being even worse than usual, they were actively lying to people about whether they had to do mutual obligations, um, basically certain types of activities or after certain lengths of time, the things you're doing, even if it includes, you know, having partial employment, trigger payments for these job agencies. So um, there was an interest for them in continuing to get people to do stuff that they didn't have to do. So we said, okay, that's it. We're going to call a strike. We're going to widely publicise that and tell people, direct people to not engage with their job agency until there will be penalties reintroduced. Um, It was really exciting. Uh, It was very scary to call it. And um, the response, though, was unbelievable. And I think there were really a lot of wins out of it. But the most important one was the sense of solidarity and community and, and, you know, people feeling that they had some power um, to fight back and stand up for themselves against a system that had hurt them for so long. Well, it's a big step for the union. I think it's the first kind of action like that. And yeah, like it's, uh, you were mentioning earlier that like people didn't really know where their power was, you know, when we can't mm. attend demonstrations and things like that. And it's, it's really good that you found that way to act collectively. Mm. So, Absolutely. And it's crucial too, because um, although we uh, can and we do have plans to um get back into our site-based organising next year where we're talking to people at job agencies and at work for the doll sites, Um, it is quite hard because lots of people on unemployment payments do feel very isolated. Um, When, you know, you don't have any resources, you tend to withdraw. Lots of people do anyway. So it makes it quite hard um, to get people to, A, feel that they have a sense of community at all and, B, to, you know, take assertive action. So Um, I think it was a crucial step in getting people to feel that power so that hopefully now we're emboldened um, to take new actions into the future when we can get back to slightly more conventional organising, but also to know and demonstrate that we can do a big action that is online only and that that itself can have many um, wins and ramifications that 
don't necessarily require at any point us doing a face-to-face actions. You're listening to Stick Together, recorded for 3CR Community Radio, coming to your local community radio station via the Community Radio Network. I guess so far we've been talking a little bit about like pay and conditions and and things like that um but the other really serious thing that's been affecting especially your members lucas is just safety throughout the pandemic you've been representing workers who are on the front line of this stuff and i think the big kind of campaign in terms of safety would have been a jb hi-fi hey yeah absolutely there was a um there was a a huge amount of action at jb hi-fi this year and jb hi-fi is the uh, you know, a, a huge uh, retail employer across Australia that doesn't have uh, any sort of, or until this year, didn't really have any real organised union uh, presence. Um, and then uh, at the start of uh, COVID this year, we, uh, at the union, at RAFWE, we established what was, I guess, an online forum, a Facebook group called RAFWAG uh, for um, our members to get in touch with each other online as they're all locked up at the um, start of lockdown to um, to get organising um, when they couldn't do it in person. And one of the first things that's, that came out of that was JB Hi-Fi workers getting in touch with each other across the country and putting together um, a set of demands on their employer. And looking back on them now, they're a pretty... Um, pretty I think they stand up pretty well. They were essentially calling for a worker-led... Um, shutdown of JB um, when the store was refusing to close and the cases were increasing day by day. Um, and obviously for all of the workers to be paid during the shutdown. And um, uh, that led to us ho- ho- hosting some uh, huge uh, meetings. There was a petition which uh, was signed by over a thousand JB HIFO workers, which is about one in 10 across the country. So really big numbers for a you know, completely um, unorganized uh, uh, workplace um, and uh, and then flowing from that there were I guess um, uh, yeah a series of big uh, union meetings where members uh, decided that the um, the avenue they wanted to pursue was um, workplace like workplace level um, health and safety organizing and we ran uh, a series of campaigns saw a really vicious, fight back and union busting attempts from JB Hi-Fi that are now the subject to uh, a uh, prosecution in the federal court. Um, and, and yeah, a lot of, uh, a lot of workers getting involved in basic health and safety organizing, you know, the provision of hand sanitizer that's, you know, 70% alcohol, these things suddenly became uh, serious bread and butter issues for, I guess, ours, but all unions. Yeah, it was, it was big stuff. Um, and yeah, I think the, the proof of the, the necessity of that kind of came along, especially down here in, in Melbourne, when we experienced the lockdown and everything, you know, besides the supermarket workers, you know, got shut. <laughs> like, it, you know, it just kind of proved that the, this group of workers were just being routinely put at risk every day for the sake of DVDs. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, there were, I mean, it had... I guess there are positive and negatives. Like a, a lot of these workers probably 
felt uh, completely overlooked and unappreciated in the in the work that they did in the past. And there was, you know, probably a lot of public goodwill towards people who were recognised as essential workers this year. Um, and probably a lot of those, the efforts of those workers were recognised, you know, like, you know, frontline workers like nurses as well. Um, the, uh, but I guess, you know, on the other hand, most of these workers are not working for a living wage either. Um, and so, uh, I mean, I, I think uh, we all feel that it's a, it's like this year just sort of proves that um, they're, that yeah, essential workers, I mean, every worker deserves a lot more, well, even, even non-workers. Absolutely. Um, so we're running out of time a little bit here. Um, wanted to kind of briefly touch on maybe, uh, you know, some projections for, for next year. Um, but I thought just quickly with, um, a commonality that the three of you have, whether it's, uh, Kapow, um, and their kind of critical, um, stance towards the, some of the NTEU's decisions, whether it's RAFWU and being at odds with established unions like the SDA or the AUWU kind of um, being described as not a real union by people, you know, ranging from friendly Geordies to Sally McManus. Um, what's it been like to do such crucial work for so many people and um, just really not have the support of the broader union movement? Yeah, I've got to say, um, despite all of that really disheartening um, response to our work from the ACTU and large sections of the union movement, it has also been really awesome to see some unions um, back us in and want to work really closely with us. So it has felt, um, you know, pretty, I, I can't describe it actually, to, to see like the most disadvantaged workers um, in the country uh, trying to stand up for themselves. You know, we provide a peer support service where you can call up and get help dealing with your job agency from an unemployed worker who also is on a welfare payment um, that's, you know, materially benefiting our members. We do all of that for free. All of us are unpaid. And so to have these incredibly powerful, entrenched union workers who have good salaries and good careers and, you know, many of whom are on track to be staffers or MPs, um, sort of looking down on us and undermining our work was really sickening. And um, I guess, yeah, the the punching down, I, it's kind, kind of made me speechless, really. Mm. It's a similar situation uh, across, you know, different parts of um, the country um, and that we share the fact, I think, as well, that we've been focusing on organising um, at the weakest parts of the, um, you know, the, the experiences of workers' conditions in different sectors in different parts of the economy, unemployed uh, people as well, unemployed workers, um, that as an organizing strategy, we've seen some, some wins um, at that, that point that I feel like uh, should, should hopefully, um, you know, even though there has been so much, I guess, uh, well, the, the perception that, that we're, we're threatening unions perhaps, I think the narrative um, is already changing in, in the sense that we've, we've shown by the actions that we've taken, say, in the university sector with casualized um, workers, but also in you know, watching how RAFWU organises, watching how the uh, Unemployed Workers Union organises, that focusing in, at the weakest uh, parts of, say, the, um, the spectrum of employment in, in, in this country 
um, is, is actually quite um, an important strategy. Um, and if anything, I, I, I sort of take um, part from the fact that we seem to be teaching um, some of the more established unions <laughs> a bit of a, a lesson in, in this in this sense. And um, that's been really inspiring. And so meeting people um, you know, around the country, working in the university sector, but unemployed people, casualized um, workers, um, workers who um, are experiencing, you know, wide uh, wide range of, of issues, but be able to network and strategize um, and work alongside one another. Um, as Kristen said, you know, um, whether you're a rank and file member, whether you're um, an experienced unionist or not, has been really inspiring um, this year, and it's also been a, a great way to say. Um, clap back, I suppose, at the at the critics. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly with what both both Kristen and Giles have had to say there. And I think it's just you know, like the people who are leveling at us that you know we hate unions uh, are you know also the people who are supporting attacks on the fast food industry award that will will, you know, weaken the working conditions of some of the most vulnerable, you know, workers in our society. And, you know, some of them are also the ones supporting, uh, you know, who don't support, um, ra- you know, raising the rate of job seeker or retaining it. So um, who's on the side of working people? Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Here, yeah, yeah. here. Um, so, yeah, I thought maybe quickly we do a little bit of a roundup um, about what to expect for the new year. Um, in the case of unemployed workers, we've had a pretty disappointing decision about income management. Um, how do you think that might shape up in the future, Kristen? Yeah, so um, this is a pretty uh, little-known part of the system at the moment. Um, there is a few, there are a few trial sites around the country um, which are very high proportion um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander populations, where the government has been experimenting for many experimenting for many years now um, with basically restricting. Um, where people can spend their money. So you receive a card that isn't a bank card. It's called the Indu card, and it was the brainchild of um, Twiggy Forrest, uh, who, you know, him and his family have a long history um, of in colonial violence, and this is not just another way in which they're perpetuating it. And that trial has proven time and time again with all of the studies to have failed to achieve the things the government says that it wants, um, things like creating safer communities and giving people um, better health outcomes. Um, so they brought a piece of legislation saying it was really urgent to make these failed cards permanent um, at these sites because of uh, COVID. Who knows what the relationship is there? Um, and we were able to have, a, have what is pre, a pretty significant win, even though it feels a little bit um, not like that at times, which was to prevent that from becoming permanent. But that legislation, unfortunately, did pass. Um, due to a very cowardly act by Sterling Griff, who was a senator from South Australia, who flipped um, his position uh, with no warning, you know, on the night of the vote um, until quite late in the evening, it was assumed that he was in the right place. Um, and, you know, as the evening wore on, it became clear that he'd abandoned uh, his position and, you know, those 35,000 people affected by that um, the, the who were having gutless, a human rights breach. The most mm-hmm. gutless thing about that is that he abstained. He didn't vote with the government. Yeah. That's right. Um, and, you know, like I won't go, there's so much <laughs> to unpack with that whole decision and the way those days unfolded. Um, and unfortunately, we don't have time to get into it. But yes, income management and um, hi- highlighting and fighting that will be a huge focus for us next year. Um, the most important reason for that is the way it is affecting 
um, and harming um, the communities where it's being trialled. But secondary to that is the fact that the government has been very clear their intention is to roll this out across the board for people on income support. So if we don't stop it now, we're going to end up in a situation where hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people who receive payments will have their spending controlled by the government. And um, again, like it's it's actually wild to think about that being something that the you know the population is comfortable with. Um, but so far we haven't seen enough pushback um, and we will be trying to lead that fight in 2021. Good one. Um, how about you, Lucas? What do you see 2021 looking like for you up in with RAFU in Sydney or anywhere with uh, RAFU? <laughs> well, I mean, uh, through all of this, uh, this year, um, RAFU uh, has continued to grow. And so 2021 looks very exciting for RAFU. Um, early in the year, we'll have three more organisers on the ground uh, in different states around the country. Um, and that just uh, increases our ability to organise and have contact uh, with, our, with our members. So it's, it's exciting times ahead. Um, but I'm sure there are going to be challenges. I have no doubt that 2021 uh, will, uh, I don't know, there'll be, there'll be ramifications from this year for years to come, I think. For sure. How about you, Giles? Well, reflecting on what um, both Lucas and Kristen have been talking about, the, the, the thing for us, I think, has been, um, you know, as casualised workers, unemployed workers in the university sector, um, asking members to, to, to think about the ways in which the campaign should be run and, and should be emerging from um, the rank and file uh, membership. Um, has been something that um, I don't think much uh, emphasis has been placed on on that in, in previous times. And that's something that's sort of emerged somewhat spontaneously, but also out of the necessities around this year. But continuing to um, empower um, members to, to not only think about their own individual circumstances, but to think about how their circumstances are clearly shared, not only with other workers in their sector, but with casualised workers all around the country um, and, and elsewhere around the world. Um, has been something that uh, I think as a deep organising strategy, or however you want to call it, that, um, that, that the casualised, unemployed, precarious university workers, Kapow, um, will continue to do, um, uh, you know, in, into the future um, and hopefully become more and more legitimised in, in the work that, that we're doing. Um, and then, yeah, locally at the branch level uh, for the universities, continuing campaigns um, and uh, building on, on wins that have happened so far, um, say, at the University of Melbourne, um, but even other victories um, at La Trobe, for example, um, around uh, holding management uh, to account and, and asking questions um, that are coming from the workers affected rather than coming from, say, uh, a lobbyist-style approach to, to changes that are being proposed in the, in the sector. That's something that I think... Um, uh, it's a lesson that a lot of us have learned this year, but it's something that we'll continue to, to try to um, understand better and, and work more on, which is um, instead of uh, these top-down approaches to how to organise the most precarious parts of the economy, like letting the people who work in those areas, um, who want to work in those areas, um, determine how they're going to um, organise each other. Union um, democracy, what an that, idea. Yeah, I mean, it seems simple when you... When you um, when you boil it down, but it's definitely something that we've had to fight for all the way along. Um, and not only 
the employers, but also the, um, the say, bureaucracies that we face in, in the union movement um, in Australia. Absolutely. Well, all, all power to your arm. Um, is there any kind of shout outs anyone wants to give before we wrap up? I'd like to give one to, to if I if I may, Certainly. to the uh, casuals organisers, especially um, at Melbourne University, because that job um, negotiating, say, a position on a branch um, at the union level, that also a number of, um, you know, uh, variously employed, previously employed, unemployed currently, but also um, precariously employed in the university sector. Like that's a big job for one person to be doing in the in the structure of the union branch, and so. For me, um, Annette Herrera at um, at Melbourne University deserves um, all all the praise, um, um, as much as uh, you know others who've done like incredible amounts of work. Like I think Annette had to really um, be at the front line of that for for many of us this year. So um, that's my, my personal level of praise. <laughs> Let, let's hear it for Annette. How about yeah. you too? Yeah, um, I mean we. We haven't even um, been able to touch on most of the campaigns the union's been involved in this year and the number of people and um, other groups that have worked alongside us to win those um, has been extraordinary. So I certainly uh, don't think I can list them, but I would also specifically like to highlight and thank and congratulate every unemployed worker and underemployed worker and insecure worker who um, stood up for themselves this year in in the face of very scary um, and um, intimidating powerful organizations that have been hurting them for a very long time and that's incredibly um brave and was very excited to see it and so grateful for everyone who participated in the strike it's, it's just occurred to me that we don't even mention robodebt robodebt job job maker yeah um there's heaps that we didn't get into but you know we don't have we don't have all week to do this yeah. story, huh? i'll have, have to give you a whole show in the future Kristen. um how about you lucas yeah, um, I think I have to give a shout out to all of the uh, dele- delegates at RAFWU who got elected for the first time this year. There's too many of them to name, but um, here in here in New South Wales, uh, Aidan Walsh, Joe Jenkins, Nick Rogers, all fantastic activists who um, uh, dedicated enormous amounts of time to uh, building the power in their workplace this year and yeah, deserve some recognition. All right. Well, great work, comrades. Um, thanks for joining. Uh, I'll chat to yours in the future, hey? Thanks so much, Tilda. Cheers, folks. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Well, that's it for Stick Together this year. Stick Together is produced for 3CR Community Radio in so-called Melbourne. Stick Together is made possible through the financial support of the Community Broadcasting Foundation, and we come to you on the Community Radio Network through your local community radio station. Thank you to my fellow producers, Annie McLaughlin and Rebecca Mays. It's been such a wonderful year working with the two of you in such difficult and crooked times. Um, Thanks to 3CR Community Radio for all the support and bringing me on as a producer and helping me make my shows remotely and all of that. And um, thanks to all the wonderful listeners and supporters of Community Radio out there in the world. Um, You make programs like this possible, so thanks for everything. This podcast is available at 3cr.org.au or wherever you get your podcasts. And this week in particular, you can find an extended version of the show in the podcast. Uh, You can contact the producers of the show at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com. My name's Tilda Joy. Remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there's a union for you. And until next time, stick together.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.